Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Alrighty, who here likes waiting? Put your hand up if you like waiting. None of us, surprisingly enough, like waiting. I mean, who likes waiting in traffic? You know, who, who really just loves seeing a big queue of, of traffic and, and waiting in line for your turn to move? I mean, what makes waiting worse is when it's unfair. If you're sitting in traffic and someone cuts in on you where you've been waiting for a long time and someone does the wrong thing, sneaks up in the wrong lane and cuts in on you, that is unfair. And some of you in this room that have just, you know, declared, you know, Jesus, mercy and mild, you had some moments this week where you were not showing mercy and you were not mild. Because someone cut in on you and it was unfair while you were waiting. Well, nobody likes waiting. But waiting is worse when it's unfair. Who likes waiting at the checkout? Who, like me, always picks the wrong line to get in at the checkout? Come on, hands up. I'm sure I, I'm not the only one. You know, I'm there. I'm trying to work out, you know, which is going to have the least amount of, of waiting time. I always get it wrong. I mean, studies have actually been done on the psychology of waiting because businesses, you know, it costs businesses billions of dollars, you know, if if people have to wait. The, The study shows that if we know how long we have to wait for, you know, our our angst just lowers a little bit. But if we're uncertain of how long we have to wait for, we we get angsty waiting to see if I got in the right line. And so Disney was one of the, you know, forerunners of this in the business world. And they, they, they started letting people know how long they'd have to wait in a queue for to go on a two-minute ride. And, and it just made people feel a little bit happier in the happiest place on earth. Have you noticed, you know, on our motorways in the last few years, they've started different places, started showing how long it will take until a certain turn-off. And they actually get updated every three minutes. So you know how long you're going to have to wait for on the motorway to get to where you want to go. I think they should have this on checkouts. Yesterday at Bunnings, I got in the wrong checkout. I thought I got in the shortest queue, but the guy in front of me, I didn't know this was possible, the guy in front of me actually wanted to withdraw money from Bunnings without buying anything. I actually didn't know you could do that. The poor kid on the cash register was a trainee. He didn't have his badge on because I wouldn't have gotten his line if I saw that badge. But he was a trainee. He says, I don't know if I can. He had to look up his policy manual to see if he could do it and then work out how to do it. I got in the wrong line once again. You see, waiting is worse when we're uncertain of how long we're going to have to wait for. And, and waiting is, is worse when the cost is high of what we're waiting for. I mean, who likes waiting in a doctor's waiting room? None of us do. You know, the doctor's 
go to university for 17 years to learn all sorts of fancy things. They're smart people. In that, those years, no one teaches them how to use a diary and to stick to the times that they put in their diary. And so they all, because none of them know how to use a diary, they've got a waiting room. And so when you turn up for a 2.30 appointment, you don't get to see the doctor, you get to wait at 2.30 in the waiting room. And waiting's worse when you know there's a, there's a high cost to the waiting. Like, doctors should have a rule. For every 10 minutes you've got to wait, you get 10 bucks off the bill. Uh, that's, anyone believe that should be the rule? Now this is the problem. The longer you have to wait, so the, the, the longer the doctor's name is, the longer the, you know, the, the letters he has after his name, the longer you have to wait and the higher cost you have to pay. They never give you 10 bucks off anything. You see, none of us like waiting. But waiting gets worse when it's unfair. And waiting gets worse when we're not sure how long we have to wait. And waiting gets worse when the cost is high of what we're waiting for. Now the problem is, not only do we have to wait for traffic to move, or for a shopping queue to move, or for a doctor to move my money into his account, but we've got to wait. We've got to wait for God to move. God doesn't work on your timetable. And waiting on God can seem like wasted time. Now, maybe, maybe right now you're, you're waiting for God to bring justice in a situation. You've got a situation in your family or in your workplace where there's injustice. You know, the, the guy who lies and cheats got the promotion and you missed out. It's unjust. And, and you're waiting. You know, for God to move and bring justice, whether it's in your workplace or, or in your family. You're waiting for God to move. Some of you here are waiting for a prayer to be answered. You know, you've been, you've been waiting and you've been praying, you know, for God to bring along your Prince Charming and you keep kissing frogs and, and you're kind of waiting and God's not moving. And, and, and then when you find your Prince Charming... Some of you here, you're waiting for him to propose. If that's him, just nudge him next to you uh, right now. Or some of you are waiting for that one that did propose to get romantic. You could be waiting a while. Um, but let me just get serious for a moment. There's some of you here, you, you might be waiting, like this story we're about to read. You're, you're waiting for a child to come that you prayed for. And it just hasn't come. And waiting is hard. You're uncertain of how long you're going to have to wait for to see that prayer answered. And, and some of you, you're waiting for God to bring about, you know, the dream, the ministry, the vision He's put in your heart. Some of our GMS students here today, you know, have, 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 have prepared for the next season of what God has for them. You're waiting for it to become a reality and there will be a cost to see that dream to see that vision to see that new ministry become a reality and you begin to ask is it worth the cost is it worth the cost to wait 
Now, Zechariah, this story we're going to read, the, the, the first leading up to the birth of Jesus, the first visitation you know, by an angel that's recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And Zechariah is a man who knew about waiting when life was not fair. He's a guy who knew what it was like to wait in prayer, uncertain of how long you were going to have to wait for. And he's a man who actually knew the cost of waiting on God to move. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 1, if you've got your Bibles there. Verse 5, it says, In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. And it says, Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. They observed all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. They're good people. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Put your hand up if you're very old. I, I, there's a few. I, I'm not sure what the, uh, what the cutoff is when you move from old to very old. But Zechariah was very old. He's a little bit kinder to his wife a little bit later on, but Luke decided they're very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. Everyone thinks angels are pretty. Every time an angel turns up, people are packing it. They're scared. They're gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Some of you need to take hold of those five words today. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you to call him John. He'll be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. That's why he's called John the Baptist. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. And listen to how he's kind to his wife. And my wife is well along in years. And she's an old bitty. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting. Who loves waiting? Absolutely nobody. They're waiting for Zechariah and they're wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. That's what happens when we wait. We start to wonder what is really going on. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak says the people were waiting for a long time and they were wondering what was going on. That's what happens when we wait. We start to wonder 
What is God doing? What is happening? And thankfully, because of the historian Luke, who, who both shows us what is going on in the natural world at this time, but he also shows us what is going on in the supernatural world that is unseen at this time. What we get to see with the benefit of hindsight, but is always true, is that God is still working while you are waiting. God is working while you are waiting. Whatever you are waiting for, whatever breakthrough you're waiting for, whatever prayer you're waiting to be answered, whatever new dream or vision God's put in your heart that you want to walk into, whatever it is that you're waiting for. And sometimes, like Zechariah, we're waiting for a long time. God is still working in ways you can't see. And I hope that God's going to encourage you in that this morning. I just believe this is an encouraging word for a bunch of us here today. That whatever you're waiting for, God is still working. He is still working while you're waiting. You see, Luke tells us the time that this was all happening. He says it's the time of King Herod. There's a priest named Zechariah. And now King Herod, recorded by Luke, Matthew, and other historians... He was not a good king. He was not a good guy. He, he, was, he was an evil despot. You know, it says, you know, he, killed, he murdered three of his own sons and one of his ten wives. Now, I, I don't think it's a good idea to have ten wives, but just killing one of them because you've got too many is not very kind. Uh, his other historians said of this guy Herod, you're better off being a pig in Herod's barn than a son under his own roof. You had more chance of living longer as a pig getting ready to be eaten than a son in his own family. He's an evil guy. It says, in the time of King Herod, there's a priest named Zechariah, and Luke is using parallelism here to actually you know, show us the evil injustice of this king who is ruling and this priest named Zechariah and his wife named Elizabeth who were righteous and they were blameless. They'd observed all of the Lord's commands. And, and while Herod has more wives and more sons that he knows what to do with, Zechariah and Elizabeth are childless. It's unfair. This is not fair. Put yourself in Zechariah's shoes. This is not fair. But Zechariah is a man who knew what it was like to wait on God and to walk with God when life is unfair. And he teaches us, I believe, some things that we can do while we're waiting on God, while we're, while we're waiting to see God move in powerful ways that we believe he's put in our heart. Firstly, serve faithfully while you're waiting. Serve faithfully while you're waiting, even when it seems unfair. 
Verse 8 and 9, it says, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple and burn incense. And when the time of burning came, everyone else was praying outside and it was then that an angel of the Lord appeared to him while Zechariah was doing his duty, while he was serving in the way that God had called him to serve as a priest. You need to understand, Zechariah's been doing this his whole adult life and he's now very old. Zechariah's been serving God for decades, year after year after year, with no child to call his own. And he's now very old. It didn't seem fair. And there's tens of thousands of priests in Israel. It'd be easy for Zechariah to say, no one will miss me. It won't really matter if I turn up or not. But Zechariah turns up. And because he turned up, he gets a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. The, the priests only ever got once in their lifetime to go into the inner sanctum and, and to burn incense in the presence of God as a picture of the prayers of all God's people rising to the throne. Because he turned up, he got this incredible once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And because he turned up to serve faithfully year after year after year, he got this incredible encounter with an angel. But if he didn't do his duty, he doesn't see the angel. You know, when, when we're called to serve God, my encouragement to you today is God's always working. Even when you can't see it, God is working. Well, whatever you're doing to serve him in your family as you raise kids, whatever you're doing to serve him in the community, in your workplace, and sometimes it doesn't seem fair, as you faithfully serve him, God is working. As you serve him in the church, as you turn up and you do your duty, God is working. And just sometimes, because you turn up and serve faithfully, you get to see God turn up in such power that it changes your life forever. And in Zechariah's case, it changes the world forever. But year after year, he just turns up and he serves faithfully when life didn't seem fair and he could easily have said, I'll go unnoticed, no one will really care. I tell you, Jesus knew something about serving faithfully when it didn't seem fair. You know, as Jesus is waiting to be betrayed by one of his friends, arrested, unfairly tried, and crucified for the sins of the world, he chooses to serve his disciples. It says in John chapter 13, he says he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel wrapped around him. It's going to invite Tim to come up here for just a moment. It says, Jesus took out of his outer clothing. In this weather, I, this is all the clothing I got on, so you'll be very pleased. I'm not taking off any outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. 
which I'm not going to do either because it looks a bit weird on stage. But he got down and he washed his disciples' feet. That bit I am reluctantly going to do. He took his disciples' feet, ugly, hairy feet, toe jam, bits of skin peeling off. Actually, Tim's feet aren't too bad. But Jesus' disciples' feet had been walking on dusty roads with open sandals, covered in manure. They needed someone to wash their feet. This was a dirty job. This was a job for a youth pastor, not a senior pastor. I mean, this was, this was a job for a servant, not the son of God. But it wasn't the dirtiness of the job that made this so unfair. If you read the rest of John 13 and you see the context, what you see is that Jesus already knows that Judas is about to betray him. And yet Jesus still gets down on his knees, puts a towel around his waist, and he washes Judas's feet with kindness and tenderness, and then he dries them with a towel. Knowing that this man is about to sell him for a few pieces of silver. He was about to be flogged within an inch of his life and then crucified for the sins of all mankind. He still chooses to serve, even when life is unfair. Would you just thank Tim for having his feet washed this morning? You see, to wait means to to look for and to expect. But, but it also means to serve. You know, and as, as we're waiting on God, we are called to serve. We're called to wait on his people, even when life doesn't seem fair. And, and this, is, this is the bit we've got to understand. God doesn't choose to bring justice into unjust situations by retribution and revenge. He, he doesn't do it by putting people down and rubbing, you know, their nose in it. God's plan for bringing justice into this world is by his followers choosing to serve others with love and kindness even when it doesn't seem fair. You see, we're not waiting for a saviour to come. Our saviour has come. But, but Jesus instructs us to continue to follow his example until he comes again. He says, that's how people will know what I'm like. That's how, that's how people will, will know, you know, what your father in heaven is like. They'll see your good deeds and they'll praise your father in heaven. That's how I'm bringing justice into this unjust world. All of us here in this room, we are called to serve, to wait on God's people while we're waiting for God to move and bring justice in this world. And it won't always be fair. 
I wonder if some of us here in this room, there's just a challenge for us in this next season to actually choose to put on our waiter's towel. I don't think you should run around your workplace and start washing people's feet. Don't, it might freak some people out. But how can you serve people in your workplace? How, how can you choose to show love and kindness when it doesn't seem fair? How can you do it in your family? How, how can you choose to serve others when it doesn't seem fair? Now, Jesus actually says at the end of this time when he washes the disciples' feet, he actually says, do this and you'll be blessed. You won't just bless others, but the way to actually know the blessing of God in your life is to serve others. Serve faithfully while we're waiting on God because God is working. He's at work in the world bringing about justice into this world while you wait on God's people. Secondly, pray persistently while you're waiting. Even when you're uncertain of how long you're going to have to wait for. In, in verses 10 here it says that all the priests were gathered around and they were praying outside the temple as, as, as Zechariah goes in and he burns the incense, which is a picture of all the prayers of God's people, you know, being lifted up. It's simply a prophetic picture of as we pray. It's like, it's like uh, prayers being lifted up to the throne room of God, like incense. The smoke of the incense goes up into the presence of God in the temple. And what we see in this story is that Zechariah and Elizabeth had been praying for decades for a child and it hadn't happened. And they were uncertain of whether it was ever going to change. And as Zechariah goes in to burn incense and all of the priests gather around praying, you know, outside the room. The nation of Israel has been praying for hundreds of years for the promised Messiah to come. There they've been praying year after year, after year, for God to fulfill his promises and send the Messiah. And they was uncertain that God was doing anything because they hadn't heard God speak for 400 years until this point. What we see is that God is still working as they're waiting. He's listening to every prayer that has been prayed. I love the words that the angel you know, brings to Zechariah, I really believe there's some words here today that some of you have got to listen to. Your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. Just like that incense going up in the temple, all, you know, just rose in, into the presence of God. Your prayers have gone into the presence of God. He's heard every prayer. Sometimes he says yes really quickly. Sometimes he says no because we pray with impure motives. And sometimes he says, wait, just wait. And for 400 years he was saying, wait to the people of Israel. Now in hindsight, we can see that God's timing is perfect. But what will you do while you're waiting for 400 years? You pray persistently, that's what you do. 
And what do we do as we're waiting for Jesus to come again? We pray persistently. I preached from uh, Luke 18 a couple of weeks ago. Jesus tells a parable, you know, about an unjust judge and, and a woman who comes to that judge for help. And the, the judge doesn't care about God, doesn't care about her. But because she keeps persisting, he gives her what she asks for so that she does not weary him. She does not wear him out. And Jesus is saying, you know, your father in heaven is nothing like this unjust judge. He cares about you. He loves you. He listens to your prayer and he will, in his perfect timing, bring about justice on the earth. But then he says in verse 8, he says, when I come again, will I find faith on the earth? See, what he's expecting us to do is to keep praying persistently until we see it happen and not give up until he comes again. And sometimes that's going to mean waiting. Revelation 8, there's this awesome picture when, when the church is wondering how long they've got to wait for Jesus to come again and all sorts of terrible things are happening. And, and Jesus gives his best mate John a little glimpse into heaven and once again he just sees this bowl filled up with, with, with incense, which is all of the prayers of God's saints that has been collected over the years. It's a, it's a picture, it's a prophetic picture of how God responds to prayer. And in God's perfect timing, that bowl is tipped out and power moves from heaven to earth. So keep praying and don't give up. Pray persistently, even when you're uncertain of how long you're going to have to pray for. I love the story of Susanna Wesley. She was a woman that had every excuse to not find time to pray and to give up on praying. She actually gave birth to 19 children. Only 10 of them survived. Nine died in childbirth. She went through incredible grief. She had a husband that was a little bit hopeless. He always losing all their money. Ended up in jail a few times. Good godly guy, but just kind of couldn't really, didn't really uh, work out too much as a provider or a father for the children, preoccupied with other things. And Susanna was left to raise the kids, educate the kids, and oftentimes provide for the kids because they had no money. If there's anyone who had an excuse not to pray, she was too busy to pray, I reckon it was Susanna Wesley. And yet there's this awesome story. Uh, she found the only place, the, the, the only way that she could spend time with God in prayer in the midst of that busy household was to pull her apron up over her head. And she'd sit at the table and she'd create like a little you know, tent of prayer for her to meet with God in. Now who knows what the kids were doing, but for two hours she would, she would sit in this tent with God if they were my kids growing up, the place would be a shambles. But for two hours, she would sit with God in this place of prayer. And she'd pray for her family. She'd pray for the church that was not going well at the time. And she prayed and she prayed and she prayed two hours every single day. Now, once again, I'm not encouraging you to walk around your workplace with a towel on your head. I'm not necessarily even encouraging you to 
stop looking after your kids and put a towel on your head. I, I don't want to be accused of that pastor. I don't want to be in the front page of the Courier Mail during the week. But what I'm saying is, We've all got excuses of why we're too busy to pray or why we could give up on praying. We've all got to find our place to pray. Because I tell you, God heard the prayer of Susanna Wesley. You know, one of her sons, John, preached to a million people, preached the gospel to a million people. He was Billy Graham before Billy Graham was Billy Graham. Saw a great move of God that's influenced the church in Australia today, centuries later. Charles Wesley, another son, wrote 6,500 hymns, which are still being sung the world over. I'm telling you, God heard Susanna's prayer in heaven. There's a persistent prayer that God's put in my heart. I'd say for the last 10 years, I don't sit with a towel on my head, but I sit down on my milk crate at the dam, it's my place to just get away from people and just be with God. And as I pray for this church, as I pray for you, as I pray for all of our campuses for the last 10 years, just time and time again, God just keeps leading me to pray for the church in this city, in this state, and around this nation. Praying that God would raise up young leaders who would lead the church into the future and, and, and we would see a great move of God in our time, in our season. And I believe as I begin to step into the new things that God has for me, I believe God's been saying, I've heard your prayer. And to be honest, it was the thing that really just confirmed to me this was the call of God on my life. It was a persistent prayer that just wouldn't go away. I wonder what that prayer is for you. What's that persistent prayer that God's calling you to pray? And not give up until you see it happen. Even when you don't know how long you're going to have to pray for. Prayer for your family. A prayer for the church. A prayer for a ministry you're in. What is that prayer for the nation that God is putting on your heart? You're saying, I'm going to keep meeting with God. I'm going to keep pulling aside to be with God and hear his voice and pray persistently until I see it happen. I tell you, waiting on God in prayer is never, ever wasted time. Never wasted time. Because God is working while you're waiting on him in prayer. And lastly, I believe God's calling us to, to serve faithfully while we wait, to pray persistently while we wait, and to prepare expectantly while you're waiting. Even when it will cost you There's two ways to wait. You can wait passively or you can wait expectantly. You know, the passive person simply hopes that something good will happen and they just sit around waiting for it to happen. And after waiting a little while, they give up and they say, well, I've waited for a while and it hasn't happened, so God mustn't be in it. Or you can wait expectantly. You can wait with hope and with faith. You know, expectantly, expectantly believing that the breakthrough is going to happen and you believe it in all your heart that you actually prepare for it. You get ready for it to happen. You're so expectant. I mean, when a mum's expecting a baby, you know, she goes and buys a million different things with, and they cost a bomb. 
to get prepared because why? She believes the baby's coming. She's got a swollen stomach. Her waters are broken. A baby is coming. And there is a cost to be ready for that baby to come. You know, Elizabeth had to prepare for this baby to come, but this baby that came was John the Baptist. And the call on his life, it says in verse 17, is to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I want to ask you this morning, are you waiting passively or are you waiting expectantly? How are you preparing for God to move in the next season? You know, John the Baptist was called to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And there was a cost to it. He had to live in the desert. He had to eat locusts. He had to wear camel clothing. I imagine it was itchy. There was a cost to it. But he paid the cost. And the real cost was nobody liked the message. He called people to repentance at all levels of power. He ended up losing his life for it eventually. And he said to the people coming to be baptized, he says, turn from your sin. Share with the needy. Be just and honest in all of your business dealings. Make peace with your families. And then come and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And they would go down into the water in the River Jordan as a picture of their sins being washed away. And their hearts ready to receive the message that Jesus was coming to bring. There was a cost to John, but it was worth the cost. He got to baptize Jesus, the Savior of the world. And the people who paid the cost to get prepared, it was worth the cost. They got to walk with Jesus. They were some of his first disciples walking with Emmanuel, God with us. We no longer have to wait for Jesus to come. We are now waiting for him to come again in glory. And this Advent season, it's a season of preparation and waiting. And I want to encourage you to prepare expectantly for what God is going to do. I don't know what that'll mean for you, but let me give you some, some things to think of. You know, maybe, you know, on December 1 through to December 24, just read a chapter of Luke every day for the next 24 days leading up to Christmas. Just to prepare your hearts for what God is saying to you in this season. Maybe... The preparation you need to do is to go and make peace with your family. To see the hearts of fathers come back to children and children to fathers. Be a peacemaker in your family this Christmas season. Maybe it's to act justly in some way in the workplace. And that work of justice may be by actually picking up a towel and waiting on someone serving someone sacrificially and helping them to know who Jesus is. Or maybe you are called to prepare 
for what God wants you to do by making the first move of being baptized. You know, sometimes sometimes we, we think baptism is something that we do down the track when we've got it all together and you're here this morning saying, I haven't got baptized because I'm not good enough. Well, good. That's why you need to get baptized. You're not good enough and you need a saviour. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you're saying, well, I don't know enough. Well, if you know you're a sinner and you know that Saviour's name is Jesus, then you know enough to get baptised. But if you're a little bit worried and you'd like to know some more, straight after this service, we've got a baptism class happening in room eight and nine. Just go out those doors to the right, just half an hour, just unpacking a little bit more of what baptism is about. I very much doubt it, but maybe there's someone here who wants to get baptised and you don't have a towel. If that's you, I'm going to do all the preparations for you. And this morning, maybe your response to God, to get ready for what God wants to do in your life, is to get baptised. John the Baptist says, the one who comes to baptise after me won't just baptise with water, but that baptism in water will be a baptism of the Holy Spirit and of fire. That as you actually go down into the water and you immerse yourself in water, it's a picture of, of being baptized into the death of Jesus and what he's done on the cross. And as we come out of the water, it's a picture of being baptized into the resurrection of Jesus and his power for all of eternity comes to live in you by his Holy Spirit. It's a baptism of the Holy Spirit and of fire. Maybe this morning as you prepare, you know, for the next thing that God is doing in your life, it's, it is to get baptized. If that's you, in just a moment, we've got a bunch of towels out the front here. You can come and get one and then you'll be really prepared. But, you know, as we, as we sit in this season of Advent and we wait to celebrate and we prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of Christ, it's a time of, of waiting in anticipation and preparing our hearts, preparing our lives until Jesus comes again. And I want to encourage you to serve faithfully. And I reckon there's a whole bunch of you in this room who God would say at the end of, or almost the end of this year, well done, good and faithful servant. Even if you feel like what you've done to serve has gone unnoticed in your family or in the church. I want to promise you this morning, God's noticed. And he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And some of you, and he's saying to you today, I've been working while you're waiting on my people. And there's some of you, God's put a, a persistent prayer in your heart. And you've been praying it all year. And you've maybe seen a glimpse of change, or maybe you're yet waiting to see the change, I want to encourage you to keep praying. God has heard your prayer. Every prayer goes up to him. And God is working while you're waiting on him in prayer. And there's some of us, just in this season, it's a time not to wait passively, but it's a time to prepare expectantly, whatever that might mean for you. I want to encourage you. God is working while you're waiting. Would you stand together this morning? We're going to sing a song that uh, 
we've been singing just in this last season, and just declares that uh, the God has made a way for us to come into the very presence of God. He, and He's made a way for us to be part of seeing miracles happen on the earth today. And even when we can't see what He's doing, God is still working. And I just want us to declare this together as a church this morning. I'm going to invite our prayer team and our pastoral team to come down the front. And I just believe some of you just need a prayer of encouragement this morning as our our pastoral team and our prayer team come. Some of you need just a prayer of encouragement this morning to keep serving faithfully. Keep serving faithfully while you're waiting for God to move. Keep praying persistently while you're waiting for God to bring that breakthrough. And today to prepare expectantly for this next season, whatever the cost might be. As you come, if, if, if your way of getting prepared is to get baptized, just come and pick up one of these towels before you go to someone for prayer and they're just going to know that that's what you want prayer for today. And, uh, but whatever it is today, whatever it is God's speaking to you about, you just need a prayer of encouragement today. Please just come. We just want to stand with you, pray with you, bless you today. Let's sing this together. Thanks, Mark. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.